Keeping It With Jones, the Lonnie Jones podcast adventure, is brought to you by TKM Incorporated. This company located in Moss, Tennessee, specializes in erosion control, hydro-seeding, hydro-mulch, silt fence. They do minor excavation work, and they also provide traffic control and construction signs. Their mission is keeping people safe. Their passion is wishing that all men could be saved. TKM stands for The King's Men. If you'd like to contact The King's Men, you can contact them at 931-243-3958, 931-243-3958, or you may email them at tkminc2001 at twlakes.net. That is tkminc2001 at twlakes.net. The King's Men, in partnership with Keeping Up With Jones, the Lonnie Jones podcast adventure. SJL General Contractor is a full construction company that primarily focuses on civil construction and asphalt sales in the Huntsville and Fayetteville regions. Services they provide include, but are not limited to, road construction, asphalt material, underground utilities, site work, and demolition. They employ heavy equipment operators, concrete finishers, pipe layers, and CDL dump truck drivers. If you would like for this company to work for you on your project, or if you'd like to work for them as an employee of this family-owned business, you can contact them at 931-433-4660. That is 931-433-4660. Or three W's and a dot, sjnl.com. That's www.sjnl.com. SJNL General Contractor is a sponsor of Keeping Up With Jones. Lonnie Jones podcast adventure. I was 30 years old. I was standing on the top of Table Rock. Now, what I was doing at Table Rock was I was retiring from climbing. You see, I'd made this decision that at 30 years old, I was too old to climb. I had been climbing for a number of years, but climbing had become frustrating. I would teach a young person to climb, and by the time they were 17 or 18, they could outclimb me. Uh, I'm not really built to be a climber. My climbing style was, was very rugged. Uh, I was a power climber, an, an inside corner, uh, a lieback, a, a crack system where I could gaston. That's where you put your hands in a crack and you pull out sideways like you're trying to rip the rock apart. Anything that involved power or brute strength, I was pretty good at. The finesse climbing, the, the, the fine climbing of like a 5'9 or a 5'10, uh, those hard grade climbs, I, I just always felt like I was fighting the rock. I was trying to reach up and, and grab these micro holes and pull myself up. I'd been working on a fingerboard in my garage. I had bought a Metolia simulator and, and hung it over the door of my garage and attached bungee cords to it and would go out there in the afternoons and, and, and hang on these micro holes until failure. I could do a pull-up on everything on that board, but was still getting bored climbing because it was so frustrating. And then the young people that I was teaching to climb, by the time they were 17 or 18, they were bored climbing with me, and they would either get girlfriends or move off to college, and I would have to recycle. So I'd come out to North Carolina, and I'm going to do this multi-pitch climb, 
as part of the North Carolina Outward Bound or, or using a, a guide named Doc Klein from the Kurt Hahn Leadership Center. And I was going to do this, and that was going to be my swan song. I was going to retire. A couple of things happened on that trip that impacted my life. Number one uh, is that while I was out there, uh, the, the three-day class was, was basically, he called it, managing a rock site. And so in addition to going out there and doing some climbing, he gave me the what's, the where's, and the how's of if you're the guy in charge of a rock site, these are the things you need to do. These are the I's you need to dot and the T's you need to cross. Little did I know that I would return to Huntsville with a renewed vigor for climbing and that I would build or help build and start the first indoor climbing program at Lakewood Community Center. And in about six years, I would go on to build a ropes course and start doing some private guiding and teaching at Berry College and, and that I would be involved in the vertical atmosphere all the way down to teaching, climbing, and rappelling at the International Olympic Youth Camp and serving as a de facto rappel master for our SWAT team and, and teaching several other SWAT teams how to rappel and working with fire departments and uh, adventure camps for the Boy Scouts. And all of it happened with the knowledge that I acquired at this class called Managing a Rock Site. Now, how does a guy go from going to be his last climb to renewing and, and actually having a career as, as a climber or a guide? Now, you've got to understand I'm a low-end climber. If my climbing was a football team, I would be a Division Three West Coast team. I'm still not a good climber, but I'm a prolific climber. Well, we're in North Carolina. And we're preparing to do a multi-pitch climb. Now, multi-pitch climb simply means that you're going to use the same rope multiple times. So instead of taking your rope and going to the top of a small rock wall, 120 feet, 100 feet, and then rappelling back down or walking off, you're going to use this rope. And once you get to a certain place, you're going to put anchors in. You're going to hang on the wall. Your lead climber is going to go up another pitch. You're going to follow him and pull the gear. And then you're going to establish an anchor point. He's going to climb again. And we did a five-pitch climb, somewhere in the neighborhood of five or 600 feet. And we're using the same rope. And it's called a multi-pitch climb. Well, in, in order to prepare for this multi-pitch climb, this guy that I'm climbing with wants to know that I know how to tie knots. He wants to know that I can self-rescue. And he really wants to know if I can assist him if he needs to be rescued. So we're taking this like a seminar, not just a guided climb. And the second day we were there, we were in this area. I think it was an area called the Chimneys. And we had rigged some top rope. And, and so top roping is different than lead climbing. Lead climbing is you're climbing and you're leading the rope up the rock. Top roping is your rope is already at the top. It's put through some kind of an anchor like a carabiner on a set of uh, slings or another rope. It's attached to you, it's attached to the, the guide, and as you climb up, he pulls in your slack, almost like pulling something up a pulley. It's kind of the way the, the rock climbing gyms work. And so we were at this little small wall, maybe 45, 50 feet, and I get clipped into this thing, and I walk in to the rock to start to climb, and, and Doc Klein, my guide, says, are you sure you can climb this? And I said, well, I'm pretty sure I looked at it, and, and, and I could read the rock, and it looked like it had some medium-sized holes everything looked very positive like you could get good traction he goes okay well i want you to climb this with a blindfold and i was like who do you think you are obi-wan kenobi but he puts this blindfold around my eyes 
And then I walk up to this rock. And instead of reaching up as high as I could reach and finding the most positive thing I could grab and doing a pull-up, I began to place my feet on the wall and find a place to stand. And my hands, instead of being above my head, were about chest or shoulder level, and they were holding me to the rock, but they weren't what I was using to climb the rock. I was climbing the rock with my feet. You see, in my early climbing career, it was all about power. I'd bought a rock climbing simulator by a company named Metolius, made this little fiberglass and sand molded thing that I hung over my garage door and I attached bungee cords to it and I would hang on that thing until failure and it had different sizes of hand holes and different sizes of grips and had two finger pockets and one finger pockets and it got to where I could do a pull up on everything on that board but my climbing wasn't fulfilling because I was climbing with younger people And we'd go out, and the things that I could climb, they could climb super easy. And the things that they could climb with these gymnastic-style moves and the body-to-weight ratio of these tall young people, I couldn't climb them at all. And I was, I just, the the handholds weren't big enough for me to put that pressure on and drag myself up the rock. But when I started climbing this wall with a blindfold, it was different. It was like I was dancing with the rock. Lynn Hill, the five foot two, hundred and five pound lady that was the first person to ever free climb the nose of El Capitan. Now, that's not a free solo, but a free climb where you climb using ropes to catch you, but you don't use the ropes to assist you. She's the first person to ever free the nose. Her quote was, I do not conquer that which is my partner. And she didn't see climbing as going out there and looking for a weakness in the rock and conquering it. She saw climbing as something where you dance with the rock and the rock gave you permission. And for the first time in my life, the rock and I were not enemies. We were not nemesis. The rock was my partner. And I climbed to the top of this thing without being able to see. And when I topped out, Doc lowered me back to the ground. And when he took the blindfold off, he said, Lonnie, what I noticed is in your climbing style, you reach as high as you can reach and you get the best grip you can get and you try to pull the rock down on top of you and if the rock doesn't move, you go up. He said, that's not really how a person climbs. You know how you climb a ladder? Well, you don't reach up as high as you can reach and drag yourself up, but you put your hands on the side rail of the ladder or you put your hands on the rungs and you walk up the ladder with your feet. Well, that's how you climb a rock. You walk up the rock with your feet. You don't fight it. You dance with it. And one of the significant things that happened to me while I was at Table Rock is I learned to dance with the rock. And instead of retiring from my climbing career, I came home with a renewed interest in climbing. I bought a new pair of shoes and started climbing at a level that I enjoyed, but at the same time climbing much more efficiently and using the kinetic design of my body to stand on my legs and not just drag myself up the rock using the power of my arms. The other thing of significance that happened on Table Rock is we were standing at the top. We'd finished the the multi-pitch climb. And out into the distance, you could see the snow cap on, on Grandfather Mountain. You could see Linville Falls. There was a falcon flying beneath us, not above us. 
and we're coiling our ropes because at, at a five pitch climb you're really a little too high to rappel off unless you want to do multiple stage rappels and we we're just going to walk off the back side and we're we're coiling our ropes and, and doc klein looks at me and says what are you going to do monday morning i said well i'm going to my office i was a full-time youth and family minister 30 years old doc said how much do you make at your office I thought it was a little personal question, but I just finished some life and death stuff with this guy. And so I told him what I made as, as, a, as a youth minister with the church. He said, guess how much I make as a rock climbing guy? And I said, Doc, it's really none of my business how much you make as a rock climbing guy. He said, I make $18,000 a year. Something clicked in the back of my mind. I thought I made $18,000 selling airbrush t-shirts out of my dorm room at Harding. And so I continued to coil ropes and stuff things in a bag. And he goes, guess where I'm going Monday morning? I'm frustrated now. I don't know where he's going with this conversation. I said, Doc, I have no idea where you're going Monday morning. He said, well, I'm going to my office. I said, okay, Doc, that's nice. And then he stands up. And with this goofy grin and those round spectacles and that medical shirt that he wore, he spread his arms out and said, but this is my office. 4,500 feet above sea level, a dusting of snow on top of a mountain in the distance, the Linville Falls, and a falcon flying beneath us. And he looked me square in the eye and he said, Mr. Jones, when you decide you can't wait to get to your office, you'll be happy. I, I, I don't know how a $18,000 a year non-college-educated rock-climbing guy knew I wasn't happy. But he knew. And I made a promise and I said a prayer standing on top of that rock that one day I would, with, with the blessing of God, one day I would redefine what was my office. And I would redefine how I did ministry. And my office would be a place I could not wait to get to. It would not be a place I could not wait to leave. We get so wrapped up into trying to fulfill other people's ideas of success. We get so wrapped up trying to reach a certain dollar amount or have a certain achievement or have some of these possessions. And yet there's so many things that are much more important in life than money. There are so many things that are much more valuable in life than money. When I went into private practice, I told my daughter, I said, now you can drive any car you want to drive. But if you drive a high-end sports car, I won't be at any volleyball games and I'll be home every night after dark. Or you can choose to drive a little used RAV4 Toyota. Or you can choose to drive a little used pickup truck. And I'll be at every volleyball game. And I'll be home when you get home from school. And it really wasn't up to, for her to decide. I had already made my mind up how we were going to live. But she chose. And Dad, I'd like to see you at some stuff. I told my wife, it may be a bad business model, but I've got the rest of my life to make money. She'll be 16 one time. She'll play high school volleyball one time. We'll have this opportunity in this window of time one time. 
and I, I redefined what my office was. And I redefined how I would do ministry, and I redefined what success looked like. And it was all because of a conversation I had with a rock climbing guide from North Carolina, outward bound in the Kurt Hahn Leadership Center. When he stood up with that stupid grin on his face and those round glasses, and he looked at me and said, This is my office. I want you to look around. I want you to look at what you think you've achieved. I want you to look at what you think you have. And I want you to ask yourself, what are you doing? What are you doing Monday morning? And decide, is your office a place you can't wait to get to? Or is it a place you can't wait to leave? Now, in some cases, we're stuck. In some cases, that office is the thing that we do and the thing that we have to do. Well, sometimes your office is your ministry. It's, it's the thing you do on the planet, and it's the thing they pay you to do. And, and, and that's a fortunate place to be. That's a good place to be. That's where Doc Klein was, and that's where I tried to get to. And if you're stuck in, in a job and you can't walk away from the money and, and you're not trained in another skill set and you don't have the options to, to start your own business, then, then what you have to decide is, you know what, my office is the thing that pays for my passion. And you actually have two offices. You have the office where you make money and then you have the office where you make a difference. But deciding that that place that you go and that thing that you do that makes a difference, not in just other people's lives, but that thing that makes you different, that's the decision you've got to make about what true happiness is and what true success is. What are you doing Monday morning? And where is your office? Using the tool of shortwave radio, World Christian Broadcasting literally covers the world every day with the gospel. They use two large curtain antennas. One is located in Anchor Point, Alaska, and the other in Madagascar. They send out messages that are recorded at their international home in Franklin, Tennessee. They make available 40 hours of broadcast every day. The broadcasts are made in English, Chinese, Russian, Spanish, Portuguese, Korean, English for Africa, and Arabic. They would love for your group to visit them. You can bring your ladies group, your youth group, or your men's group. Just give them a call at 615-371-8707, 615-371-8707, or you can go to three W's and a dot, worldchristian.org, find the Donate Here button, and make a financial contribution to support this work that literally covers the world every day with the gospel. World Christian Broadcasting, in cooperation with Keeping Up With Jones, the Lonnie Jones Podcast Adventure. Keeping Up With Jones, the Lonnie Jones Podcast Adventure is sponsored by us, What? We sponsor ourselves? Is that even legal? Check us out on Amazon. You can have access to the titles of Pedagogue, the Youth Ministry Book by Lonnie Jones, Cognitive Spiritual Development, a Christ-centered approach to spiritual self-esteem, Grappling with Life, Controlling Your Inside Space, 
a small essay using the principles of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu to talk about psychological and emotional self-defense. If I Were a Mouse, a children's book written and illustrated by Lonnie Jones. And then The Selfish Reel, a very short story about a decision. Also, you can check out our YouTube channel to see archived lessons and presentations from across the country, some videos with uh, rope tricks and knots. Don't forget to visit the uh, Facebook page, 550 Guys, to learn about the little rope men that we make and in, that we invented and that we make. And then be sure to click like, subscribe, and share. This is Keeping Up With Jones, the Lonnie Jones Podcast Adventure. Thank you.